You are listening to episode 55 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Whenever you see someone grieving at the departure of their child or the loss of their property, take care not to be carried away by the impression that they are in dire external straits, but at once have the following thought available. What is crushing these people is not the event, since there are other people it does not crush, but their opinion about it. Don't hesitate, however, to sympathize with them in words and even maybe share their groans, but take care not to groan inwardly as well. Enchiridion 16. This passage helps refute the characterization of Stoics as Mr. Spock-like beings completely lacking appropriate emotional responses toward others. As Margaret Graver wrote in her brilliant book, Stoicism and Emotion, quote, The founders of the Stoic school did not set out to suppress or deny our natural feelings. Rather, it was their endeavor in psychology as in ethics, to determine what the natural feelings of humans really are. With the emotions we most often experience, they were certainly dissatisfied. Their aim, however, was not to eliminate feelings as such from human life, but to understand what sorts of affective responses a person would have who was free from false belief. End quote. The conception of the Stoic as an emotionless person who lacks sympathy for others is an unfortunate caricature. Fortunately, it is repudiated by the Stoic texts themselves. As an example, the letters of Seneca are primarily motivated by his desire to counsel and help his close friend Lucilius. The meditations of Marcus Aurelius are full of his sympathy for others. In Meditations 2.1, he reminds himself we all share a portion of the same divine mind. Therefore, it is contrary to nature to refuse to work with others. Likewise, Epictetus reminds us of our duty to others, in several of his discourses. Enchiridion 16 provides a formula for Stoics to engage with and help people experiencing emotional distress. This formula can be broken down into two parts, and it's essential to get these two parts in their proper order. Otherwise, we may do more harm than good to ourselves and to others while attempting to help them. These parts are as follows. 1. Take care not to be carried away by the impression the person is in dire external straits. 2. Don't hesitate to sympathize with them in words and groans. Now let's consider the parts of this formula in their appropriate order. Part 1. Take care not to be carried away by the impression that the person is in dire external straits. This part is preparation. Epictetus is warning us to be in the appropriate state of mind before engaging with someone in emotional distress. As a Stoic Prokopton, this might appear easy at first. We know the person's distress is caused by their assent to a judgment that something bad has happened. Additionally, we understand that no external event can truly harm what is essential to our well-being, our inner character. Nevertheless, the Stoics observed the effects of what modern neuroscientists only recently discovered in the form of mirror neurons. We are indeed interconnected. No person is an island. 
our mirror neurons react whether we are experiencing events firsthand or observing others experiencing those events. Modern science proved what the ancient Stoics observed. Our interconnectedness is a fundamental aspect of nature and human nature. For this reason, the Stoic Prokopton has to be cautious when dealing with people in emotional distress. If we are inadequately trained, our sympathy for others can quickly turn into a bad emotional response that overwhelms us. I've been a law enforcement officer for over 15 years and a detective for 10 of those years. I was already exposed to death and human tragedy before moving to my current position as a traffic homicide investigator three years ago. However, part of my responsibility in this new position is to notify the next of kin when someone dies in a traffic crash. Each time I do so, I mentally prepare myself as I drive to their home to deliver the news. It's not easy. I have to find a balance between being sympathetic for their loss and simultaneously being the person they can rely on to objectively investigate the crash that killed their loved one. In his commentary on Enchiridion 16, Simplicius shares some insight about striking this very balance. Quote, But now what follows? Is a reasonable person supposed to be unsympathetic to people feeling crushed and to ignore them because he condemns their belief? Not at all. Rather, he is supposed to go along with them and be accommodating to a certain degree by both speaking a sympathetic word and even groaning along with him if it is necessary, not pretending to, for pretense is not fitting for the reasonable person, but groaning at human weakness, the kind of thing he considers worth groaning about. End quote. My job as a traffic homicide investigator required me to learn to speak sympathetically and groan genuinely with people as they process the news that a loved one has been killed in a traffic crash. However, as I said earlier, it's not always as easy as it appears to find that balance. Shortly after moving to this new position, I encountered a situation I was not adequately prepared for. A young couple was driving home from the mall with their four-month-old little daughter strapped into her car seat in the back of their SUV when they became victims of a violent collision that sent their SUV airborne. Their infant daughter died from the injuries sustained in that crash. The following day, I had to go to the hospital to interview the injured mother and the father. As I stood at the foot of the hospital bed, asking this grieving mother what she recalled about the traffic crash, I found myself overwhelmed by her emotion. Tears welled up in my eyes, and I got so choked up I couldn't continue the interview. I had to ask her to excuse me as I stepped away toward the window and regained my composure before I could continue with the interview. Was my emotional response inappropriate? Yes. A Stoic sage would have been capable of sympathizing with that grieving woman without being overwhelmed by her emotion. You see, for those few moments... While I was overwhelmed by my emotions, I could not perform my role as a traffic homicide investigator. Furthermore, if I had allowed her flood of emotions to continue dragging me in, I would not have been able to help her at all. However, I believe an important distinction must be made here. What if I was in a different role in that hospital room? If I was the mother's close friend, would my emotional response have been inappropriate as a Stoic? I don't think so. Epictetus said that we can, quote, sympathize with them in words, and even maybe share their groans. Therefore, it seems reasonable that having tears well up in my eyes and getting a little choked up can be counted as sharing in the groans of a grieving friend. The distinction for any Stoic lies in the difference between the roles of an investigator and a friend. 
Epictetus encourages us to sympathize with grieving people to help them. However, if our sympathizing and groaning goes too far and prevents us from fulfilling our role, we are not helping. That is why Simplicius continued his commentary on the passage above about the warning from Epictetus. But he must be careful how far his accommodation goes, lest he too be led in his sympathy to groan at the event from inside himself. Otherwise, he won't be able to help the griever anymore. For someone who intends to help with the emotion and drag the griever back from it must be accommodating to a certain degree while remaining securely anchored himself. After all, someone remaining entirely on his own ground won't be able to snatch up a person being swept away by a flood any more than someone who is completely caught up in it with him. The one who stands completely aloof won't persuade the person suffering the emotion because he seems to be unsympathetic while the other one needs help himself because he too is worsted by the emotion. An appropriate response for a Stoic lies somewhere between an unfeeling statue and being overwhelmed by the emotions of others. Using Simplicius's metaphor, I waded a little too deep into the flood of that mother's emotions and got swept away momentarily. However, I also wouldn't have been able to help her if I remained safely aloof from her distress. My job was to step into the water just far enough to reach that grieving mother without losing my footing and being swept away with her in that flood of emotion. That is the challenge the Stoic Prokopton faces when dealing with people in distress. Well, wouldn't it just be safer not to sympathize at all? Safer? Yes. Appropriate? No. And that is why Epictetus instructs us not to hesitate to sympathize in words and groans. Chrysippus argued, We have a natural congeniality to ourselves, to our members, and to our offspring. In Stoicism, this is called the doctrine of oikiosis, which is often translated as orientation or affinity. According to this doctrine, animals and humans alike are driven by an orientation toward self-preservation. The doctrine of oikiosis comes from Stoic physics, the study of how nature actually works. The doctrine of oikiosis is the foundation of Stoic ethical doctrine, and this relationship highlights the interconnected nature of the holistic philosophical system created by the ancient Stoics. In Stoic ethics, oikiosis begins with the orientation toward self-preservation and then expands as a human matures and grows to include one's family, society, and humanity as a whole. Epictetus tells us it is in our nature as humans to do good, to be helpful to others, to pray for them. Discourses 4, 1, 121. Then again in Discourses 3.2, Epictetus outlines a training program for those who wish to make progress. The first area of study is related to desires and aversions. The second, with appropriate behavior. And the third, with avoiding hasty judgments. While expounding on appropriate action, Epictetus said, quote, I shouldn't be unfeeling like a statue, but should preserve my natural and acquired relationships as one who honors the gods, as a son, as a brother, as a father, as a citizen. Discourses 3.2.4 The implication of this passage is clear. Some feelings are appropriate for maintaining our natural human relationships. Stoicism's end, or summum bonum, is a life lived in agreement with nature and human nature and human nature is socially oriented. The doctrine of oikiosis begins with self-preservation, but it does not end there. Yes, 
people are externals, and therefore by definition indifference to us as Stoics. They are not up to us. Our spouse, child, brother, sister, mother, father, friend, neighbor, boss, fellow citizen, cannot affect our moral character or cause any actual harm to us. Only we can do that. However, our behavior toward all of those people is not an indifferent. Our intentions toward others are up to us. They are either good or bad, and they shape our character. Therefore, appropriate actions toward our spouse, child, brother, sister, mother, father, friend, neighbor, boss, or fellow citizens are necessary to develop virtue. Stoicism does not teach us to stand on the shore like unfeeling statues and watch as people are swept away in the flood of emotion that may overwhelm them with grief. It is our duty to help. We are called to be part of a cosmopolis. As Marcus reminded himself, quote, We come into being to work together, like feet, hands, eyelids, or the two rows of teeth in our upper and lower jaws. Meditations 2.1 As Stoic Prokoptons, we shouldn't hesitate to help others who are being swept away in a flood of bad emotions. However, we first need to be prepared ourselves so that we are not swept away as well. Now, do not use a lack of training as an excuse for inaction. Instead, advance your Stoic training now and develop your inner character so that you can participate in the cosmopolis and help others. Stoic training will prepare you to maintain your footing while simultaneously stretching out a hand to help someone swept away in a flood of emotions. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.